Good evening. It's 7 p.m. October 18th, and this is a Halloween edition of All About Wine. <laughs> Ron is off this week. In the meantime, we have unearthed a mysterious and spooky show from the archives. The ashes have been brushed off, and we present to you this haunting show from October 12th with chilling stories of ghosts and the unexplained with special guest Jesse of Belvoir Winery in Liberty, Missouri. So sit back and leave the lights on. You'll need it. Enjoy. <laughs> This is All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Call our guest line at any time during the live show at area code 646-727-3235 and let's talk about wine. Again, the phone number to call is 646-727-3235. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. It's gorgeous and great, yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, also gorgeous, I guess, in the area. That, well, actually, uh, they're looking at um, some rain Thursday. Looks like in Liberty, Missouri. That's what I we're think. talking about tonight. Oh. Yeah, oh, look wow. like it. Yeah, wow. unless uh, unless the Weather Channel is not accurate for that part of the country, but uh, and they're usually yeah. pretty good. So yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, that's near uh, Kansas City. Is that what I'm looking yeah, at? Yeah, just, just north, north, a little north. northeast of Kansas City. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For those so. of you just joining us, I kind of jumped the gun there, but uh, we we're talking about uh, uh, we're going to be actually be talking to a winery in Liberty, Missouri. So that'll be cool. We're just covering the weather. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and for that area, and for us yeah. because it's gorgeous here. If you're listening to us on archives, then. Uh, Hey, we had a gorgeous day today, and it's supposed to continue. Wow, we, we're supposed to have some real nice weather for the next five, six, seven days down here. So yeah, cold, cold front's coming through tonight or sometime. Um, it's going to drop us into the low 70s or upper 70s. Yeah, oh, something like that. Yeah. Get, the, get the coat and the gloves out. So uh, I know. Yeah. I I was digging through that today, <laughs> getting my, my winter gear out. Yes. I heard yeah. cold front, and so I started to worry. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, covered the no. plants. Uh, so everything's covered. Yeah, yeah, I got yeah, got them all down. I I harvested my pineapple this evening. Oh, was well, that the yeah. only? That's the single one that you had on the. Where was that? That was yeah, out on the porch. When you, out on the porch, yeah. yeah. My pineapple it was. It's time for harvest, so I actually harvested it this evening and right before the show, and I will be trimming up on myself a little bit of fresh pineapple. Uh, but but you know, with the cold front coming in, I didn't want it to. It, 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 it caused any damage, right. and so I had to get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we, yeah. yeah, and so 
Put on harvest. <laughs> <laughs> pineapple harvester in Florida. Pineapple <laughs> harvest, right. <laughs> Pumpkin, pineapple, yeah, it's that time of year. So. So. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. So, uh, um, I got a I pineapple will... to trim up after the program here, after the show tonight. Uh, nice. But, I, will... <laughs> I will get we out of here are... and get our guest. Yeah. We are going to Liberty, Missouri tonight. Actually, we were at Liberty a couple of weeks ago. Uh, what was it, three weeks ago when we... Um, visited a winery up there, and uh, we are back there again. The reason we're back there again is because, actually, I'm from that area. I'm just, you know, Liberty, I used to, uh, one of my stomping grounds and all that. And I was back there visiting family and friends again uh, two or three weeks ago. I had a big uh, cousin reunion, actually, and up in Iowa. And we will be visiting in an Iowa winery probably next week, so uh, uh, stay tuned for that. But, Tonight, we're going to be visiting with uh, Belvoir Winery and Liberty. Uh, Belvoir Winery, Jesse is our uh, is going to be our guest tonight. And uh, Belvoir is uh, sort of ironic that it is right now we're visiting them because they have a lot of ghost, uh, yes, ghost in their area, uh, in their winery, uh, downstairs and all that. And we hopefully Jesse can explain to us what that's all about. Uh, it's a beautiful winery. Their uh, website, if you like to click on it and see while you're listening to us, www.belvoirwinery.com, belvoirwinery.com. Um, and uh, you can take a look at it and see the, uh, the events that they have coming up. They do have uh, paranormal events and all sorts of things going on there. But we'll talk to Jesse and we'll see what he has to say about it and have him tell us all about it. And it looks like he's there waiting for us, so let's bring him onto the program. Hello, Jesse. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. How are tonight. you? I'm doing well. And yourself? Very well. Good, good. Um, noticed, uh, I, I've been t- telling uh, the people out there that... Uh, not only is Belvoir Winery located in Liberty and you make wine, but you also have a big history of uh, ghosts and goblins, uh, paranormal activity in the winery there. Yeah, we have a little bit of everything. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're the first winery we visited that has ghosts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, we, we have a lot of history at the property, so, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it builds upon it, for sure. Well, tell us about Belvoir Winery. Um, we're a winery opened uh, almost two years ago now. We'll be two years in January um, in Liberty, Missouri, which is a suburb of Kansas City. And um, we uh, grow grapes on the property um, and produce wines. And then uh, we also host a lot of events um, at our site. We have uh, renovated our buildings are on the National Register of Historic Places, um, and we've renovated one about 13,000 square foot of one of the buildings and turned it into an event location for things like weddings, anniversary, birthday, uh, wedding showers, baby showers, you know, you name it, we do it. You also have an ice cream shop on the on the premises, too. We uh, do. Yeah, which is cool. Um, grapes there, what grapes do you grow? Uh, the grapes that we go on site are Norton, Chamberson, Vignol, and Golden Muscat. Um, we do... Missouri is a little different. Some of the areas where we, um, a lot of the wineries, they'll they'll purchase um, from local vineyards. We have a, a lot of vineyards in the area that uh, grow just solely for agriculture purposes and then sell to the wineries. Um, we're growing 
the state's growing about 10 wineries a, a year right now. And so there's wow. a demand that's not fully kept up with, with all the wineries popping up. Uh, of course, a lot of them open um, without a full vineyard in place at the time, a mature vineyard. So um, it's definitely a growing industry. And so um, we, we have a little of both. We, we grow and, and purchase as well. So uh, let's. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. You say you're growing. I noticed. Uh, what is there? 130 wineries in Missouri now. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, it's it's always changing to be honest with you. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's 130 is about right. We used to be obviously the. We used to be before prohibition the number one wine producer in the nation. Um, then prohibition hit, and a lot of the uh, Missouri wineries uh, switched over to production of um things like uh, mushrooms in their in their caves and things like that and then when prohibition was lifted um our, our market was slow to recover we're still in top 10 in the nation as far as um wine production but of course California kind of took the reins a little quicker than we did after prohibition <laughs> yeah, so. and ran with it <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly so well, it's uh, interesting uh, you say that because I just uh, a few weeks ago I was t- talking about the biggest uh, wineries as far as production goes in the country, and all of them are in- from California except for one, and that is uh, Stonehill there in Missouri. And so uh, there is quite a bit being produced and grown in Missouri as far as grapes and wine. So. Yeah, I think we're I think we're right around number nine last I checked, uh, something like that. But uh, yeah, before prohibition, uh, two of the three biggest wineries in the nation were in Missouri. So uh, they, they had a there's a lot of um, German roots. Um, a lot of German immigrants came into places like Herman, Missouri, which I'm sure some have right. heard of. Um, there's a there's a big um, um, industry there where the German immigrants came over and they found that area and it was a lot like the land they had left, you know, near where the Rhine is in uh, mm. Germany and so that's the reason they settled there and it turned out they they made a pretty good decision because there's some very nice ground there for uh, grapes for sure but as you know as time went along um, if you look at the map of Missouri as far as where the wineries are there's a lot of wineries um, located along the Missouri and Mississippi River obviously where you get some good hilly conditions some fertile conditions where you know the the river has moved in a lot of good nutrients and uh, lasts for some pretty good grape growing yeah and uh it's also because of the uh well we can go all the way back to the ice age how it's pushed the soil down and all that and there's uh some great soil just about everywhere in the state that's uh, uh something that you can see in uh, production of not just grapes but corn and everything else in the northern part of the state yep absolutely uh, the uh uh are you, I, I'm familiar with your vineyard there. I, obviously, I stopped by and, and met you and, and talked to uh, talked to you for a while there. But uh, for the listeners, what uh, type of soil do you have there uh, for your grapes? Um, well, strangely enough, our county is called Clay County, and, and it's called that for a reason. <laughs> it is it is there, uh, mainly a clay soil. Now, um, we are very fortunate on our property specifically. We have um, some underground springs. There was actually a hotel that was on the site even before the current buildings and um they had um a springs hotel there where people come and bathe in the healing springs and that kind of stuff. But what the the uh, springs provide is a um a good soil content, a good moist soil content in certain areas of our property. Um that that some of the areas other areas don't have. Without that obviously um I mean there are certain areas where um on the property where it's just simply not growable we'll have to 
you know, re redo the soil just to make it um, where we can grow grapes. But the areas where the uh, springs are actually pretty fertile. Um, it's a it's a clay-based soil, but um, there there is some black dirt areas in the uh, areas where the springs are that it's not too bad at all. Yeah. I know. I, you know, you say clay. I, I grew up in North Kansas City there, just not too far from you. And I tell you, you dig down six inches and you're getting into just a lot of clay. And that's uh, it's just amazing that you can grow grapes there and, and not have more of a problem than you do. So I can understand. Yeah, well, that. I was going to say, too, there are in some areas of the property that, uh, you know, we've We've tried to plant three or four times, and and it's just a no dice thing. It's one of those things where we'll have to, you know, take a a dozer to it and and tear down into it, and then rebuild the soil in some of those areas because um, the erosion is taking away some of the soil. And we have a lake at the base of the property that, you know, over time a lot of that um, fertile ground has has come off the clay and is down in the lake now. So hopefully we can re reclaim some of that at some point as well. Yeah, I, I hope so. The uh, you. Uh, uh, have to water a lot uh, because of the well, the clay actually would re retain a lot of the moisture to the top. So, do you have to water a lot, or is it pretty much take care of itself through the year? It does take care of itself for the most part. Uh, even you know, we had obviously some heavy drought conditions uh, this year, um, and even with those um, kind of conditions, we still were pretty good. And, and obviously, the underground springs um, around our vines help quite a bit. Um, you know, it doesn't give it obviously a, a wet um, factor by any means, but it gives that slight moisture that allows it to survive those heavy drought conditions, whereas if we, if we didn't have that underground moisture, it would have been a, a much different situation that were, would have definitely required some irrigation. Mm. Uh, the, uh, the trellising system, what do you, uh, do you, do you hand pick everything or do you machine pick? What, what do you use on you? Yeah, we just have a, um, um, uh, to, we hand pick everything. Um, we usually, um, around the time of harvest, we'll put on our Facebook site, you know, we'll let people know that uh, we're going to be harvesting. And it's a nice deal for our, our, our uh, regulars that are out there. They, you know, bring out their kids and come out and we give them the tools that they need, show them how they can pick and um, go ahead and have them. Uh, honestly, at least half of the picking is done by people that aren't employed by the property. They just come <laughs> out and, it's, it, you know, it's a neat experience because honestly, um even though the the wine industry is growing and doing well at the same time, um, there's a whole lot of people in our area who haven't really got the experience of winery. You know, they they haven't traveled out to California and and they haven't uh, necessarily gone to some of the wineries in the area. So it's a nice opportunity for them to to come out and do those kind of things. And and the trellis is just a basic trellis, uh, upper and lower lines. Um, it's, it's honestly nothing fancy, um, but it's it gets the job done. As far especially well, like our Nortons. And um, in our muscat, um, they do really well with a simple trellis system. Oh, great! You know that you you mentioned people coming out though. That's that's a great thing because I think a lot of wineries do that, and it, it just it gets people involved with it, and it's such a great thing. I have a lot of people come into the winery down here and tell me, "Oh, yeah, I used to help pick grapes up at this winery or that winery." So it's it's something that people really enjoy, and it, it's something they they uh, they hang on to the memories of it when they do it. So. It's great that you're doing that there. Um, while we're still out in the vineyard talking about that, your your winter highs and lows, your summer highs and lows, and and when do you get bud break and when do you uh, harvest? What? Uh, give me um, well, I'll do the last part first. Uh, bud break. Um, normally, it's roughly in 
April. Of course, this year was different because we had such a moderate winter. Um, we had it actually in March, early March, and, and we harvested uh, almost a month early as well, our normal harvest. Oh, it's late August, um, early September. It just kind of depends. Um, this year it was more early August. It was, you know, we needed to really get them off or, or they were going to be gone in a hurry. So <laughs> um, it was it was one of those things where it was an odd year overall, but our normal times are, are April to um, early September. Um, as far as the highs, I mean, um, you know, during the summer, especially in August, it can get up to, you know, um, 90 usually. Um, with 95 and 100 not being all that uncommon at all um, during the winter, um, our lows, our lowest of lows is probably around zero, uh, five above somewhere in there. Um, uh, below zero is pretty rare, um, but we have to have obviously some pretty hardy rootstock um, to handle that weather. So um, we have some, you know, a lot of the vines just in general grown in Missouri. Um, there's similar vines that are grown in places like. Um, Virginia and the mountainous part of Virginia, um, the uh, eastern part of New York, um, Michigan, um, th- those kind of places uh, where you have to have stuff that can that can handle, you know, both the both the heat and also the the cooler weather um, in the winter, and in some cases, you know, pretty heavy freezes. So, do you have to uh, stack up a bunch of leaves or grass or dirt around the base of the plants, or are they pretty well cold hardy? You don't have to worry about that. Yeah, they're pretty cold hardy. We don't we don't really have now now we are doing like uh right now in front of our buildings we have some um vineyard out there. We're doing some, some test grows, you know, just planting some some new vines, some new variants just to see how they do over the course of a winter. But um the ones that we grow we generally know they, they do well without, you know, a whole lot of maintenance over the winter months. Oh, very good. What uh what bricks do you uh usually get for a harvest? Where where are you usually setting on the bricks? Uh, I'm sorry, say that again. Where where are you usually setting on bricks on harvest? Uh, sugar levels are they? Uh, you know, I I honestly I don't know that part. Um, only because I'm the I'm the business manager. Uh, my uh, father-in-law, who actually he purchased the property originally, he is the one that um, does a lot of the vintner work. And and while I do know some of the generalities of it, the uh, technicals I don't actually reach that point. So I apologize for that. Well, I, that's fine. <laughs> I didn't want to put you on the spot. I told you I want to put that's you on the right. spot, and I did. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, a lot, you, you you're very knowledgeable, and I thought maybe you might know that. You know, that, I, I'm one of those guys that, that knows enough to be deadly. Put it that nice. way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, I we talked to um, uh, uh, Warren. I'm boy, I got a blank on this now. Um, uh, oh, from, like Danny or Bobby? Uh, no, uh, another another vineyard. I can't. I, I I've got a blank right now. Mike, can you help me out on this? Well, who did we talked to a couple weeks ago, and I can't. My notes are all scrambled here, and I can't find him. Um, Vernon, Vernon at uh, Wineflower. Oh. oh, sure, absolutely. Yeah, we talked to Vernon back uh, about well close to a month ago now, and he was saying that he was he was harvesting at about twenty twenty two bricks, which it seemed very high to me, and I just wondered if that was just standard around there or not. And so I would again wasn't trying to put you on the spot. I thought maybe you knew that, but that's all right. If you, you know, need that info, I can get that to you. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. I was just curious if, if that's standard or not. Uh, how many acres of each of the grapes do you have planted out there? Uh, we don't have a lot. Our total um, um, number of rough vineyards is about four acres, so it's not a oh. lot. Um, it's enough to produce um, oh, about 25% of our total bottling. Um, 
So, and then we, like I said, we go to some other local, there's some, there's several local vineyards in the Kansas City area. I'd, I'd say, well, you know, an hour out within a hour, hour radius outside of Kansas City where we can, we can purchase grapes. So Really? Um, there's that we, many growers around? There are. Well, I mean, there's, you know, such an increased need. I mean, you know, I'd say five years ago, there was only one or two really vineyards in the, um, especially in the north part of Kansas City where more of the vineyards are. And, you know, now we have, Eight, eight to ten in the north part of Kansas City alone. Wow! Um, so, you, you know, those a lot of those are fresh and brand new. Some of them have good vineyards, some of them don't. And so there's there's an obvious demand right away to to say, hey, I I should just go out and grow some grapes for these guys, and and uh, they have the demand set up to uh, meet those um, those supplies. So. Oh, that's amazing! I never realized there was that many. Like I said, I grew up and I, I never realized I I was just up there when I was visiting you and. I had no idea there was that many uh, vineyards yeah. around. Yeah, I'd area. say um, in, in the on the Missouri side of Kansas City, um, I believe there's around 11, and uh, even on the Kansas side, um, I think there's three or four over there on that side as well. And there's some actually some good name ones like Holy Fields on the Kansas City side is another one that's um, doing very well. Huh. Oh, well, that's that's interesting. I, uh, you know, how? Uh, so so. Uh, what wines do you make? Let's talk about your wines. Okay, uh, we make three um, three whites and three reds. Uh, we do a dry, a semi-dry, and a sweet on both sides. Um, you know, it just provides a good, strong base of wines, you know, or no matter whether you're someone who prefers something more dry or, you know, some of the um, newer drinkers who obviously prefer the sweeter wines usually. Um, we have kind of a range there that... Um, whites that we have, um, our dry white is a Chardonnay, uh, which is a hybrid grape that cross uh, Chardonnay with Saval to create that grape. It's a pretty popular grape uh, to use in, in the uh, Missouri area just because it grows pretty well. Um, and then our other two white wines are blends. Our semi-dry has uh, Traminette, Vignole, and then it has about 7% of uh, California Saval. They pick out a Oh. The flavor profile out of there, but it's it's still an, it, the Missouri rule is that seventy five percent of the grapes have to come from Missouri to be considered a Missouri wine. So in that one's case, it's ninety three percent. And then uh, our sweet one is called Sorelli Dolci. Um, it is a blend of Symphony and Cayuga, um, and it's a dessert wine. It's going to be you know similar people who like a sweet Moscato or something along those lines. Um, it's going to be similar to that. Um, Oh, the Symphony and Cuyahoga, do you uh, grow those around there, or you you get that from uh, New York? Uh, those are both uh, both grown in state. Yeah, now are they, they? you're correct. They are grown heavily in New York as well. But uh, yeah, those are, that's at 100% Missouri grape wine. So wow, they are both grown locally. Wow, oh, I didn't realize they were able to grow those, especially the Cuyahoga yeah. in Missouri. Huh? Yeah, we like you know. There's a lot of grapes that are pulled in from other regions that grow pretty well because we have such a broad you know weather spectrum as far as Missouri goes it gets so hot and it gets cool but um, there's a lot of things that can fall within that um, yeah and then our our red side um, our dry is a, a Norton um, Norton's the state grape of Missouri um, it's just a good hearty um, red grape they grow grow it a lot in the mountains of uh, Virginia as well and then um, down, down in Arkansas they usually call it uh, uh Cynthiana is so what they yeah. usually use it for. So it's one of those deals, just depending on where you live, it's called something. But, um, 
but it's a it's a good grape and it's actually a it's a growing wine as far as popularity and it's a it's a fickle grape to work with but you know it's one of those deals that if it's done right it can be a really quality dry wine um the uh the other two that we have the semi dry and the sweets are also blends as well um casanova is um Casanova is our semi-dry, and it's uh, made with, um, oh, boy, I'm blanking now. It, it does have 7% California Syrah. It's uh, similar. Chambarson. Yeah, uh, and then Chamberson, yes. And, and St. Uh, Vincent. <laughs> Thank you. I'm <laughs> reading your uh, website. <laughs> that's, that's right. I, I don't have it right in front of me, and I say it every day, and then, of course, I forget when I'm talking about it eventually. <laughs> but um Casanova uh, is actually named after the family dog, and um, oh. <laughs> it's, it, it was not used in the making of the wine, but uh, but it was named after it's a good, very very good dog and a very good wine. Uh, it's, a, it's a smooth uh, red wine. I'd say it's more of a you know a table type wine, and something that's easy to drink. It's it's not too sweet, not too dry. And then um, our sweet wine that we have is called Lucky Pierre, and it's made with uh, Concord and Chamberson. It's about fifty fifty. Um, if it's not exact 50-50, it's just a couple percent either way. But um, it's just a good, you know, it's, it's got a Concord base. So obviously the Concord is the, the main flavor in it, even though it's kind of an even split. And then the Chamberson gives a little little tart finish to it. So it's not a, an overly sweet dessert wine. It gives it a, uh, a little bit of a different taste to it. And the Concord is grown in Missouri there also, huh? It is, yes. Wow. Yes, wow. It actually does very well here, so. I, I'm I, I'm amazed. <laughs> I have to say, some of the grapes that are being grown there, I never realized. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Literally, the the only all out of all those grapes, the only two that are are outside is the um, Saval and the uh, um, the Syrah, and and I believe um, that some of the places down towards the southern end of Missouri are even trying to grow some of that Saval now as well. But the nice oh. thing about like um, I'll say the Chardonnay, for example, is that you get the out. Uh, it's it's a cross between two California grapes, but it's a grape that when, you know, when crossed, that it actually grows pretty well here in this area, which is nice. Mm-hmm. That, that's amazing. That's, uh, do you uh, oak anything, or is everything stainless steel? Uh, we actually oak everything. It's, um, do you? Wow. Amer- yes, it's American oak, um, and it varies. The sweets are around t- three months, um, and then it goes all the way up to uh, the Norton. I believe it runs around... 16 months. Uh, wow. It's a rough guess. Don't quote me on that, but um, give or take a couple months, that's about the uh, oaking time on that. You use uh, Missouri oak, or are you using where? where? Uh, I don't believe it's Missouri oak. I can't tell you exactly, honestly, uh, which state it's from, but it's it's definitely from in the Midwest. Uh-huh. Well, I'll just, you know, it could be Arkansas. It could be Kentucky or Tennessee or, yeah. you know, Missouri on even Texas, Minnesota, and Pennsylvania put out some nice oak. Uh, yeah, as far there's as, a, there's a, yeah. a uh, I'd say in Missouri, generally speaking, um, most of them use American oak. They tend to shy away from like a French oak. Um, American oak is just the preferred preferred wood. Um, people have developed a taste for that for one reason or another, and that's just the way it, way it works. And it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> you can cut it down here. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and there's quite a few uh, cooperages there in Missouri too. I, I think there's four or five of them, if I remember correctly. So yeah. Um, so uh, the, uh, the 
the winery itself. How uh, how long you been open? What's the background on it? Uh, you know the uh, little bit of uh, uh, how you got started on this, if you will. Sure. Yeah, the uh, the winery itself uh, is originally called the uh, Odd Fellows Home. Um, the uh, property was originally, like I said, before it was even a um, a springs hotel. Um, they actually had springs on the property where you could go in bathhouses and those kind of things. They had a paramutual horse racing track on the site. They had boat boat rides and those kind of things. And then they had 108 rooms. They had a indoor-outdoor ballroom for 275 people. They had a six-lane bowling alley. This was in the 1880s. So uh, it's pretty impressive. And it was kind of the uh, trip outside Kansas City. You know, you could go a half hour outside Kansas City on the train, which is only about a a mile away from the property, and you could come out, and and that would be your weekend trip um, back then. Um, And what happened was the um, hotel went bankrupt in 1895, and um, the Odd Fellows, um, who are a fraternal and charitable organization similar to the uh, Masons, um, they came out and purchased the property and turned it into an orphan's home and a poor home. And um, they uh, they had it for about five years, the uh, original building. And then uh, on Valentine's Day 1900, they went down with uh, – they, they wanted to detail some pipes that were down in the basement, took a blowtorch down in the basement, and uh, ended up burning on the entire hotel. Wow. Yes. So, yeah, rough day, rough Valentine's Day for sure. But uh, <laughs> they uh, um, went ahead and rebuilt a new building when they built it. Um, they built it as the most fire-resistant structure in the United States at that time, actually. Uh, it has 18-inch brick walls. Uh, the floors <laughs> are 10 inches of concrete um, <laughs> on top of I-beams. Um, so it, that's why it's still in place today, obviously. It's a very sturdy building. Um, and then they had an, um, all the way through the 1950s, they had the orphanage and the uh, poor home. Uh, they built three more buildings on the property. Two of them were used as um, old folks' homes. One was used as an old hospital building um, that worked for about 55 years. And uh, then eventually the uh, buildings kind of uh, ran out of uh, people inside them and uh, with all these buildings and a lot of maintenance and no way to, you know, pay for it. And so my father-in-law bought it off them in 1993, um, bought about 200 acres, including the buildings. And uh, my uh, late mother-in-law and his dream were to, um, changed it into a winery and a bed and breakfast, and uh, took a while, obviously, to get the money together. It's not cheap to renovate those kind of buildings, but uh, we were finally able to do renovation in 2009 and uh, open up in 2011, and um, we've got future plans for a bed and breakfast, additional event space, um, and uh, we already, like I said, we did, uh, in 2011, we did 50 weddings and about no, 250 private events as well, um, in addition to being open seven days a week, um, which is nice. There's a lot of tourists and those kind of things that come into the area. And um, right now, generally speaking, um, we have a lot of uh, mom-and-pop wineries that aren't necessarily able to be open seven days a week. And so there's a lot of people in town during the week that they don't have a good option for wineries. And there are two two wineries in the Northland that are available. So uh, we could actually get some pretty good traffic on those uh, off days when we're uh, one of the few options for wine for those kind of out-of-the-towners. And uh, you are part of a trail, uh, what, the Great Northwest Missouri Wine Trail, is that correct? Yes, yes. We have um, 
eight wineries on there. Um, we have a fence still, which is located in Excelsior Springs. There's a place um, called Van Hill. Um, it's located in Rayville. They actually do artisan pizzas um, in, in the wood-fired oven right now on the patio, which is nice. Um, we have a new one in Osborne called Windy Wine Company. Um, La Doga Ridge is a one that has a lot of they have a lot of fun uh, sweet wines, things like uh, strawberry rhubarb wines, um, huh. chocolate chocolate cherry. Uh, they also take their wines and they actually do slushes out of them, put them into like flush machines. So uh, I, I know those have been pretty popular for them. Um, <laughs> there's Pertle, which is uh, in Weston. It's been a popular one for a long time. Their specialty is mead that they do. Uh, honey wine, um, and then Chowder Creek is nearby. Um, uh, let's see, Riverwood is another one. I think that's all of them. That's it. You covered them all. Very good. I, I got the flyer here. That's why I was following along yeah. with you. You covered yeah, You know, the flyer has been very helpful um, because uh, even local people, a lot of them, you know, much like you were talking about, they don't realize how many wineries have popped up in the last, you know, two to three years, and so they see those and. It's nice because it's much like um, California. You know, you can do a weekend thing where you go hit four one day, four the other, or, you know, something along those lines, and it allows them to to learn a lot about the areas surrounding their own town, which a lot of people sometimes don't take the time to do that, to be honest. And that's very true. I mean, people go away to visit things, but when they start looking at what's around them, they're amazed because they never really – it is so often I have people come into the winery down here and they say – I live just like 20 minutes from here, but the only reason I'm in here is because so-and-so came from this state and said, hey, do you know you have a winery close? And I, sure. I get that all the time. You know. Yeah, yeah. so it's kind of nice for them to get that experience. And even then, uh, we can send them out to uh, some of the other ones that are nearby. I mean, we've got probably another 10 wineries to the south and to the east that uh, are just as accessible. Wow. Which is great. That, that's that's fantastic. That it just it amazes me because I grew up there and I don't remember any of this. I mean, it just it's exploded over the last uh, you know twenty years, I guess, and it, it just is fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And, and um, not only the the uh, I was going to say not only the uh, um, wineries are exploding, honestly, but the um, amount of interest in the area is exploding a lot too. I mean, you know, you can go into your store and get. Uh, you know, wines from France, from California, from Germany, you know, all these different areas. But, um, you know, the curiosity that it builds by having some local wineries, um, those people learn things when they go to the local wineries, and then they go out and buy and, you know, get interest in some of the other areas too. Um, so it's it's not necessarily just this area that, you know, help, it helps from, a, you know, an interest standpoint as far as the wine industry in general. It helps a ton. And, you know, and that's just that everywhere you go, you can find wineries, and, and they seem to help each other promote themselves, too, with yep. and things like that. Um, the um, are, are you in an AVA, American Viticulture area, where you are? Or? Uh, we are not, no. I know no. They're, uh, they're looking to form some of those types of areas in Missouri, but currently we are not. Okay, I just I, I know Southern Missouri has, has one. I think the eastern part of Missouri has one, too. I didn't know if you were. Um, part of it there. Um, yeah, we're kind of a we're kind of the growing end of the industry, which of course means that we're still kind of you know working through the process. I mean, you know, we're we're just now forming a trail in, you know, the second biggest metropolitan area in the state. So it's 
<laughs> you know, they had them. They had them down south where there's not that many people, and and out in the middle of the state. But somehow we didn't have one. So, you know, it's it's we're coming along in that regard. But it's you know it takes a little time to put it all together. It does. It does. It's it's great though. Um, the, the government, the state government, the Missouri government. How are they toward wineries? Good, bad, indifferent? You want to hug them? You want to kill them? What what's your attitude about? Um, I think generally they're they're um um a po- it's a positive I would say um they're they're they generally find a way to support them um there was a law that they put in the last couple of years that in order to call yourself a winery you had to um, produce a certain amount I believe it was two hundred fifty two hundred two hundred fifty gallons of uh, wine to call yourself a winery oh. um, so some of those it's good or bad depending I mean some of the the wineries you know they were doing nothing but um, purchasing, or you know, and then having some custom crush and those kind of things. Right. So they had to make some changes, um, and there obviously are some loopholes there. But um, I think I think generally um, they're very supportive um, of some of the initiatives, and they provide new programs for things like irrigation, um, you know, and things like that um, that that help with the costs of, involved with the vineyards. Oh, good. Does the uh, University of Missouri have an uh, extension center that helps? They do. They have a, actually, actually, University of Missouri is fantastic. They have a, they have a, it's a, it, I wouldn't call it startup, but it's still a, a growing um, program down there in Missouri where they're, you know, um, teaching kids to be basically vintners, you know, to come out and, and work at these uh, wineries. And um, it's it's slow to develop. Um, you know, it's one thing to do a custom crush from a big winery. It's another thing to do the production all on your own. Um, right. I think yeah. a lot of them. Uh, you know, as these, some of these wineries are starting to grow, they're starting to bring some of those kids into their programs. And, um, you know, the, the University of Missouri has been very good about, um, uh, you know, if you have questions about what you're doing, if you need some guidance, um, you know, you can call those people, uh, you know, no charge, and and uh, they'll they'll either talk to you on the phone, kind of help you through things, or they're, they're, they don't have any problem coming out and making visits. And, you know, even some of these kids that they have, you know, bringing those kids out and having them, learn from uh, what's going on actually on site versus, you know, in the classroom. Great. That that sounds like a fantastic program on that. Uh, What about uh, a Grape Growers Association or anything like that? Is there one in Missouri? I'm sorry, say that again one more time. A Grape Growers Association or something like that? Um, There may be another in the state. At at this end, currently there is not. Oh, okay. Uh, I think think in Missouri, generally speaking, uh, some of the wine trails, they tend to co-op, you know, Kind of help each other out in that regard, but but there's not a a general association. There's a there's a wine and grape growers um, um, group that mostly is marketing. We have a new um, passport program. I'm I'm sure that other states oh. have also had it as well, where basically you get a stamp every time you go to a winery, and then the more stamps you get and turn in on the on the official website, which is MissouriWine.org, then the more um, more rewards you get, you know, it could be anything from a neoprene sleeve or a bar towel or an apron. And then on the high end, they have like a wine tasting and food pairing for 10. They have a wine dinner for four. And then I think if you get like 90, 90 some wineries, you get a uh, weekend getaway for two to a bed and breakfast in a winery. So you wow. know, there's a lot of incentive they're providing. Um, we, we pay for it with a, a small tax on each um, bottle of wine um, produced slash sold in the in the state, but it's it's been a very productive, and my understanding, it's been a, a little over successful from their perspective. 
but um, you know that's the kind of problem we want to have, obviously. Yeah, that, <laughs> you know that's funny you said that. I just had a lady in the winery a couple of days ago who uh, uh, was from Connecticut, and she said that Connecticut has a, a, a pass book or passport thing like that. And you have to, out of the 32 wineries, you have to get at least 16 uh, signed and stamped off. Then you turn it in, and it makes you eligible for different prizes. And one of the big prizes is the trip to maybe France or Germany or Italy or something like that. And that's the big prize. Wow. Yeah, so... Uh, but yeah, obviously uh, we've got work to do in Missouri. Yeah, I know. I, New Jersey does the same thing and has a big trip too. So a few states do that, offer you know one big trip over uh, overseas uh, for uh, for signing up or for visiting so many wineries and all that. But it's a uh, yeah. it's a great thing though. It really keeps people excited about the whole thing and makes them want to see wineries that way. Yeah, so. and what they had happen too is they they have had this program for two years and now they've. Uh, they're going to end it at the end of the year, but what they're doing is starting a new one in January. And I think the reason they're doing that is a lot of the the winery regulars um, across the state for um, you know have been collecting stamps, and now they can only get one at each place. And so at this point, I think they're kind of complaining to the group, saying, "Listen, hey, we've already been to all these places, and uh, we're not getting any reward for going back again." And so I think they're I think they're starting it over. I think they're going to adjust, obviously the the uh, prizes or change them or whatever it might be, but it'll give those people the opportunity who, you know, got a hundred different stamps or whatever it might be to, to go out and do it all over again over the next two years. So. Ah, I see. Yeah. That's uh, a lot of the States will have a, a time frame you have to, the one in Connecticut, the lady was telling me that it was only like, you know, five months or four months and you had to visit them in that short period. A lot of them were only open on weekends. So it really tied up your weekends up. It was uh Rather strict rules that uh, she was talking about. So yeah, of course, what she did say it was only what did you say it was about thirty-two versus, of course, Missouri's like up around one thirty. So yeah, a, yeah, a few more weekend trips <laughs> makes a big difference. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Uh, well, we can't. We have to talk about the paranormal activities. Uh, I, before we go into that, I was looking around and reading some websites that I normally read, and one of the uh, blogs that I read is Joy's Joy of Wine. It's, it's a blog that uh, you know, I click on and read it every once in a while. And she, this time, said, In October, when thoughts turn to harvest Halloween and hauntings, the perfect time to explore a haunted winery or two. So this month she went around to a couple of haunted wineries, and she found one uh, called Dozier, and that's in located in Kansas. But the second one she found, she stated, the most well-known haunted winery in the Midwest is located in the Show Me State, and it appears that they have a lot of spirits to show. Belvoir Winery in Liberty, Missouri, is located on the grounds of the former IOOF, or the Independent Order of Oddfellows District Home. And Belvoir is French for beautiful view, and that's what the owners, Dr. John and Marcia Bean, thought when they bought the property in the 1990s is that it is one of the largest uh, buildings for a winery. It also is one of the most haunted. Several paranormal activities, uh, 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 investigative groups have been there, and they reported activities going from footsteps to screams to unidentified laughter to male spirits to shadows that move on their own to clothing being tugged. Uh, I noticed on your website that you have these paranormal activities scheduled. Tell us about that. Yeah, sure. They, they're actually sold out for the year. They usually sell out a month or two in advance. Um, wow. <laughs> but we we do the we do the investigations. Um, well, usually about uh, March 
of the year all the way through November um, while it's still warm because we do have some activities outside involved in that process. But um, then we, we do one a month usually during uh, most of the months, and then um, October you do three a month just because there's a higher demand uh, for no other reason than Halloween, basically. Yes, yes. Um, but, um, yeah, it's a, our investigations that we do are a six-hour investigations where people come out about 8 p.m., and they um, get to stay until around 2, roughly, in the morning. Um, <laughs> and we have a group that comes out, and um, I, I selected them, honestly. They're, they're a much more scientific-based organization. So, I mean, they, they bring out their gear and um, set it up in the place. Um, it's a lot of fun gear, a lot of the same kind of stuff you'll see on, you know, shows like Ghost Hunters and that kind of stuff. And right. um, the nice thing is they set up that gear, and then, you know, the public can come out, and um, they get to go through the process and get to investigate right along the side of the investigators in small groups, um, get to use all the gear that the uh, the regular investigators get to use, and um, just kind of get a feel for, you know, what it's like. And, and obviously it's a lot different. A lot of people come in, uh, you know, for their first time. We have lots of repeat visitors, but their first time, you know, they're, they're kind of that kid at Christmas feel, you know, they come in, they're just overexcited, you know, just can't wait, you know, they want to see <laughs> things fly out of the wall and everything else. And of course, it, you know, it's one of those situations where it's not like that. I mean, um, you know, if you come out for an investigation, um, it's kind of like, say, like catfish fishing. I mean, you'll stick the cork in the water and you'll <laughs> stare at the cork and nothing might happen for, you know, two hours, two and a half hours, and then you'll get, boom, you know, maybe five seconds, ten seconds or something, you know, that's honestly pretty incredible. And then, uh, you know, you'll go back to staring at the cork again. I mean, that's exactly. kind of the way these things work. It's not it's not like uh, on, the, on the TV shows and that kind of stuff where it's edited. So it's a, it's a great situation for them because they get to, while, while still it is, it's a very exciting thing, they get to understand what the real life version of that is. And it's a whole lot of waiting and, uh, <laughs> and hoping at some level. Um, I personally, uh, I was a skeptic before I, um, started working at the winery for my family. Um, yeah, I, I'm not a skeptic anymore. Really? Uh, you're a believer yeah. now. I am. I am. I have. Uh, I've heard voices at the winery. Um, foot, footsteps are pretty common. I'm. Um, I'll sit in the the bar, you know, in the morning um, before the place open, and um, I'll hear footsteps in the hallway. I'll go out to look in the hallway, and of course, the the footsteps stop. Um, you know, the building's locked. There's nobody there. Of course, you don't realize that at first. You have to go check all the doors and look through all the rooms and wonder, you know, where did that person just go? But, uh, you know, at the same time, you, you have the realization, okay, this is this is not normal. Um, I had a experience in the ballroom uh, with my um, two-year-old daughter. Her name's Giselle. Um, she, uh, we were setting up for a wedding about 7.30 in the morning, and I was looking out the front of the room and putting tablecloths on the table, and um, she was behind me and started walking towards the uh, the uh, exit of the ballroom. And I said, Giselle, come here. And she took off and ran into the hallway. And um, I said, Giselle, come here again when she was in the hallway. And I heard her say, Mommy, Mommy. And then so I started walking towards the doorway. I know what's going on. And just as I about got to the hallway where she was, I said, Giselle, come here again. And she said, Mommy, Mommy. And then I heard a female voice say, well, hello, little one. And then about... Five seconds after that, I came into the hallway, and um, Giselle was by herself in the hallway looking up, and um, I said, Giselle, come here. And she turned around and smiled and came back, And but, uh, you know, there was nobody in the building. Uh, so it was one of those. That was a little little different, obviously. It's one thing when you hear footsteps and it's not really interacting with you. It's another thing when you hear something 
talking to your daughter and it's not there, you know. So <laughs> that's fantastic. And, that really is. And I know at some level it sounds crazy, um, and and we have a surprising number of skeptics that come on our tours. Um, you know, a lot. Honestly, a lot of them come and kind of want confirmation. You know, okay, I didn't see anything. Um, we're usually surprised at the number of um, skeptics that actually do experience something. We had. Uh, one guy come out, and his wife was a believer, and he was a skeptic, and um, they were in a room together, and they actually stood on opposite ends of the room because he didn't, he didn't want his wife messing around with him while they were in the room, and um, they asked if uh, somebody asked, you know, if, if something was, uh, you know, if something was in the room, you know, please make himself known, and we have a recording of it, and, and you hear a, a loud scream, like a, a girl scream, and then you hear footsteps running. And uh, what had happened was, is at, right after they asked for um, a sign, um, the skeptic, the man who was standing there, uh, he felt uh, something or someone pull on the back of his shirt, pull it down, and he was the one that screamed um, and, and ran out of the room. And he had only he had only been there for about an hour and a half for the six-hour investigation, but uh, he told his wife they were leaving. He had he had, had his experience and he was done. So. <laughs> That's great. That is that is fantastic. Uh, so, these and let's clarify now. These people, all this now, they attribute that to the people back when the hospital was there and when they used to the old folks' home was there, and the people have died there because there is a big uh, graveyard on the site there. I understand also. There, there is a lot of cemeteries on the back part of the property. Honestly, the graveyard part of the property is one of the quietest parts of the property. Um, it's it's the, the cemetery was made basically if you're an Oddfellow or Rebecca, which is the sister organization of the Oddfellows, you could be buried there. Or if you were a, uh, like an orphan or an old folk who passed away on the property and either weren't claimed by your family or couldn't afford a proper burial, then you could be buried in that area as well. Um, but not only that, I mean the the hospital that was on site. It was a medical hospital for you know over 50 years, um, and then of course the old folks' home. Um, you know, I mean, even in like the 30s, they had people that that died simply because their room was too hot. Um, and I think between the um, between the old folks' home and the hospital, there's over 10,000 recorded deaths on the property. So I mean, 10,000. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so it's not. You know, I mean, they honestly, you know, in the 30s, 40s, those kind of they didn't they didn't have a lot of the cures that we have. You know, people could die of you know something as simple as an infection or something like that. And you know, so it, it, people just died a lot more back there. It wasn't always go in and get cured, leave the hospital. It's not always the way it works. So yeah, I, I never realized that many there. I knew people had, had died up at that location, but I never realized it was that many. It's a beautiful location, by the way, too. I mean, it just uh, it just always has been. I remember for all my life driving by it and understanding that it was the the Odd Fellows home down there, and it was just a beautiful, beautiful building. Yeah, it is. It's fantastic. It's very unique, um, and we we restored it, you know, to where um, the wood floors are still the original wood floors are still in there from over a hundred years ago. The tile floor is still original. The the you know wood doors, the wood frames, the the window sills. We um, they all had um, some really bad colored paint on them when we started <laughs> restoring and stuff. Um, well, actually, what we did was we took apart the windows, numbered them. Um, there were 76 windows, and as you know, you've been there. I mean, each of the windows yeah. is about uh, 
seven, uh, at least seven foot tall. Um, right. So there's yeah. a lot of board, a lot of board foot going on in there. So we and then we sanded it down and planed it and and then restored it and stained it. Um, so it was a lot of a lot of hard work, um, you know. And but I think I think in the end, you know, people talk about how how nice it looks and how original it looks. You know, it doesn't look like it's been restored to a modern building necessarily. It looks like you're walking into you know something that's in the past. So yeah. And it, it is great. It does look like, I mean, it looks just like when I, like I say, I used to drive by it for years and years growing up in the family, and it looks just like as always. It, it was, you did an excellent job of keeping it, uh, the, the uh, integrity of the original building because it, it is is gorgeous and it hasn't changed any. I, I love it, what you've done to it, too. So. Yeah, I mean, even, yeah, I mean, we have a lot of the items, you know, old um uh, ritual items from the Oddfellows. We have a lot of that stuff there. We have um, uh, old toys that were found in the the walls of the building. You know, when we renovated and gutted the the uh, walls, we found a lot of things that the orphans, had, you know, obviously stuck in holes in the wall at some point, and they just ended up being encased in the wall for you know 70 years, and nobody knew they were there. And you know, we pull out a wall, and out would pop you know tinker toys, marbles, rubber balls, um, you wow. know, stuff that's mundane and and you know, it's 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 not of any value really, but you know, when you when you see it within the concept of, you know, what the building is, you know, it's fantastic that all that kind of stuff we found after all those years and, and you realize where it's been and and uh, it's really cool. Yeah, it is. Without without question it is really cool. Uh, Mike, do you have any questions or anything for uh for Jesse? Uh, I no, I'm just looking at the uh, photo gallery when we give the um Website information. Everybody, check out the website. The uh, photos of this this is incredible. Uh, the property itself, the the buildings and everything, uh, it's just amazing. Um, it's beautiful and a, and, a, and a great history. I mean, I, I was going through the history. And, oh wow, I love that stuff. So uh, yeah, very nice. We'll give that give that information out to everybody so they can uh, check it out and um, go from there. Um, as far as the paranormal uh, goes, I, I know you have a lot of tours uh, scheduled, and of course they're all sold out, so you don't need you know, TV time for advertising on that, but have you ever contacted, you know, the groups that that are on TV and said, hey, come out and, you know, check out our building sometime, or, or have you gone yeah. gotten to that point yet? Um, you know, we have had interest expressed in the past. Um, some of those shows, it's kind of a mixed bag, honestly. I mean, yeah, um, yeah it's, really, it's really neat to get that added attention, but that attention sometimes can um, cause problems. I mean, if they... Uh, right come out and, and, you know, maybe people watch the show and, and obviously once you come, they come out, you know, you can't really control what they show. I mean, <laughs> and some of them, some of them can get pretty excited about, you know, something as simple as a door squeaking, you know, which honestly, I mean, right. um, if, if people see that and they feel like they're creating too much hubbub over nothing or something like that, it can really hurt um, oh. for lack of a better way of saying it, the credibility of the site is a, is a haunted location. So it's one of those deals where it's, yeah, it would be neat, but I don't know if I want to go there. I mean, we 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 right. are known, and you know, a good portion of the Midwest is a is a haunted location, and um, yeah. I think word of mouth works almost as well as those shows, to be honest. Yeah, not, not, yeah. I was thinking you you don't need it, and plus your the events as as it looks like anyway. Um, I mean, they're sold out, so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we have, we have people call every day and say I say sorry. Uh, you know, check the Facebook site next January, and we'll. Uh, Put out the new schedule and book quicker this time. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. And it looks like you keep busy with uh, other events as well. You have weddings and uh, what else you have on your baby shower? Uh, 
just this month. I mean, it's it's um, pretty busy. Yeah. I have a great uh, venue there for that. So, uh, yeah, definitely when we give out the uh, website address and everything, um, people listening out there, you want to check it out. It's it's a it's a great site, great photos, and um, the history is amazing. So, uh, yeah, check it out definitely. So uh, that that's all I had. Just all right. thank you, Mike. A comment there. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, like Jesse, like Mike just said there. All the contact information for you, your phone number, your address, your Facebook page, your, uh, uh, um, let's see, phone number, address, Facebook page, uh, email, everything. everything. (laughs) Yeah, well, I won't give that out. I'll keep that myself. But, yeah, it's Belvoir Winery Winery is the name of the winery. It's spelled B E L V O I R Winery. Uh, The website is BelvoirWinery.com. Uh, our phone number, in case you want to call us directly, it's 816-200-1811. And Facebook is just Belvoir Winery. I mean, there's there's no other Belvoir Wineries on Facebook, so you're, you're safe in just typing that into the search. Um, and then as far as hours, we're open uh, seven days a week, um, Monday through Wednesday is 11 to 4, Thursday through Saturday is 11 to 8, and Sunday is 12 to 6. And, We'd love to have people come by and stop in while they're in uh, town. There's a lot of a lot of barbecue and wine to be had in Kansas City. So, yeah, it, yeah, it, it's uh, and they have a ice cream parlor there on it. So you know, you bring the kids, and if you don't drink wine, you can still go and look at all the building and everything, and have yourself some ice cream. You don't have to drink wine to visit them. So that's yeah, always cool too. Yeah, I think we have too. probably about uh, 15 percent of our people uh, that come in. They do nothing more than just look around the building. They don't. They don't buy anything from us, and that's okay. We understand, you know, that while uh, we're running a business, certainly it's a historic site, and, and you know, people just love learning more about history, and that's that's quite all right. We know they'll they'll find they'll tell it to somebody else who likes wine, and they'll come out eventually. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, the uh, the building. Okay, you know, when you walk in the front door, and, and whenever you all look at the website here, you'll you'll see pictures. When you walk in the front door, you go straight back, and the little tasting room's right straight back. But you have this. Enormous building around you. Is it being utilized for anything? Uh, the second uh, second story and the third story are both um, currently gutted. Uh, we already have plans drawn for this. Um, the second story we're going to put in um, probably two additional ballrooms, uh, much larger ones, say 250, 300 person. And then wow. third floor, we'll, we, third floor we're going to put in a um, it'll either be a nine or a ten room bed and breakfast. There'll be um, one. 1600 foot bridal suites and then the other rooms will be 800 square feet so they'll be pretty large rooms but i mean you know with each floor being you know 11 12,000 square foot at a minimum i mean there's plenty of room for all those rooms to <laughs> yeah. fit in there so without a doubt <laughs> exactly. you know it's a, it, it, uh, it's a gorgeous building well jesse thank you so oh and before i forget to tell rachel that she missed out she she could have done this too um <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Rachel does a fine job at uh, organizing our events. So they, uh, all the events you see on the calendar uh, are all due to her. So we'll give her some credit. Okay, she she was a little little nervous, leery that you might not be able to do it, and she would have to. So, <laughs> so thank you very much for your time tonight. Really appreciate it. It was a great program, and uh, uh, we uh, anyone out there who likes to know some more information, by all means, get in touch with him. I'm sure Jesse will be more than happy to, to uh, explain to you more, talk to you more about Bavar uh, Winery in Liberty, Missouri. And thanks a lot for joining us tonight. It was a great program. All right, mm-hmm. sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye now.
We hope you enjoy tonight's Halloween edition of All About Wine. Please be sure to tune in next Thursday, October 25th, when All About Wine returns live with Ron. Thanks for listening. Have a spooky week. <laughs> This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. Wine.